The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Before I begin, I want to share um, about the stole that I'm wearing. The Reverend Yobanzi Charles Johnson was the second minister I worked with uh, very early in my career, and he passed away this uh, past June. And he, gave, he gifted me this stole when we both were leaving the congregation in New Jersey at the same time, and he signed it to my freedom-loving friend. It was his stole a congregant had made for him. He taught me how to be a better Unitarian Universalist. Yobanzi Presente. It is truly an honor to gather and worship with you all. I want to thank Reverend Vanessa Southern and Reverend Laura Shenham and the BIPOC affinity group of this congregation for the invitation to preach this morning. As Mari already mentioned, a group of BIPOC Unitarian Universalists from the Bay Area and Portland and Seattle gathered um, for a restorative retreat. We concluded the retreat this morning when we nurture ourselves and center community care and sacred space, we begin to live into the beloved community. A few years ago, on my very first drive through Mount Rainier National Park, I was listening to a podcast about trees and how they communicate with each other through a vast and literal web underground. They communicate through their roots in a complex system that researchers finding includes fungi and other living organisms. I felt almost as small as an ant as I drove in awe. The majesty of the mountain and the landscape around it is a humbling reminder that for all of humanity's hubris for what we think we can accomplish, Mother Nature reminds us that no one can match what she continues to create. Shortly after this scenic drive and learning about trees talking to each other, I learned about the book Emergent Strategy by black activist and author Adrienne Marie Brown. If you have not read this book, I highly recommend it. The book is inspired by the work of black female science fiction writer Octavia Butler, and specifically the book Parable of the Sower. Brown uses the lessons from the book to illustrate that radical social change is needed, and we can start that radical social change ourselves. It is incumbent on us to build communities of care for each other, for our neighborhoods, for our cities, for our planet. As you heard earlier this morning in the reading, quote, in the framework of emergence, the whole is the mirror of the parts. Existence is fractal. The health of the cell is the health of the species and the planet. There are examples of emergence everywhere. Brown goes on to ask, quote, how can we, future ancestors, align ourselves with the most resilient practices of emergence 
as a species. Many of us have been socialized to understand that constant growth and violent competition and critical mass are the ways to create change, but emergence shows us that adaptation and evolution depend more upon critical, deep, and authentic connections, a thread that can be tugged for support and resilience. The quality of connection between the nodes in the pattern, dare I say, love. And we know how to connect. We long for it." End quote. The ideas in emergent strategy are not necessarily new in that indigenous populations for thousands of years have learned from nature and how to live in balance with the earth and the living beings that provide water, shelter, food, and air. The consequences of our modern world, and specifically the violent, extractive, capitalist society in which we now exist, is our disconnection from nature and our disconnection from what keeps humanity alive, evidenced by the fact that even discussing climate change and how to mitigate our harmful impact inexplicably continues to be controversial. Learning to live in balance with the one and only planet in which we need to survive should not be controversial. I've been observing in the past few years how much it would serve those of us who have been conditioned into dominant culture ways of existing to expand our imaginations, specifically with regards to leadership and how we exist in community. The ethos of domination over not only other people, but of the earth and animals and all beings is one that is proving to be catastrophic for the survival of humanity. It is estimated that indigenous populations on the American continents existed anywhere from 6,000, the most conservative estimate, to maybe 12,000 years before colonization. That is thousands of years humans lived in harmony with the earth in ways that sustained clean water, clean air, <coughs> excuse me, and food sources, both animal and plant, within just a few hundred years of colonization and violent extractive capitalist practices that include chattel slavery and genocide of the indigenous populations and land theft, life on planet Earth is in peril. <clears throat> Excuse me. I choose to believe that, not as, that all is not lost, that we can and in fact must learn from the mistakes of excessive and violent extraction. The Western world is finally beginning to listen to indigenous populations who have been stewards of the earth and activists like Adrian Marie Brown are taking lessons from nature. Nature is teaching us in some of the most unexpected ways. While scientists have predicted rising temperatures, floods, and fierce storms, I don't think anyone could have predicted the ways the animals themselves are responding to the irresponsible behavior of humans. Have you heard about the orcas? The ones that have been charging into boats and disabling them. 
I have been enjoying the memes about the orcas starting the revolution, by the way. <laughs> there have been reports of orcas attacking boats since 2020. As the reports grew more consistent, start, scientists started to pay attention and to study their behavior, trying to understand why. I found a prevailing theory from an online blog called Live Science. Quote, researchers think that a traumatic event may have triggered a change in the behavior of one orca, which the rest of the population has learned to imitate. Experts suspect that a female orca they call White Gladys suffered a critical moment of agony, a collision with a boat or entrapment during illegal fishing that flipped a behavioral switch. Now, orcas are social creatures that can easily learn and reproduce behaviors performed by others. According to a 2022 study, the majority of reported cases of these boat attacks, orcas have made a beeline for the boat's rudders and either bitten, bent, or broken it. Scientists know that orcas are emotionally intelligent and not only care for their children, but are fiercely protective of them. And scientists at this point are unclear if this behavior continues to be a grudge held or evolved into some sort of game that groups of orcas have learned. Let's disable the boats kind of game, their version of tag, who's to say for sure? I wanna share another view of orcas from a book called Undrowned, Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals. Probably one of my favorite book titles of all time. The book came about when the author Alexis Pauline Gums posted on social media what she learned about different marine mammals from two guidebooks on the subject the National Audubon Society Guide to Marine Mammals of the World, and the Smithsonian Handbook, Whales, Dolphins, and Porpoises. Now, she found that while these books presented as neutral observations, they were also reflective of patriarchy, heteronormative ideas, and ultimately other limiting notions <clears throat> that were projected onto deeply complex and remarkable mammals that live in the oceans and seas. Her posts became viral and caught the attention of Adrienne Marie Brown, who invited Gums to write a book expanding on her learnings. Gums describes herself as a queer, black, feminist, love evangelist, and a marine mammal apprentice. Throughout the book, she dives deeper, see what I did there? Into not, <laughs> into not only the observables of what the nature books have reported, but also what they mean and adding more nuance and the story of why and one of connectedness beyond our imagining. Here are the chapter titles. Listen, breathe, remember, Practice, collaborate, be vulnerable, be present, be fierce, learn from conflict, honor your boundaries, respect your hair, end capitalism, refuse, surrender, go deep, stay black, slow down, 
rest. Take care of your blessings. Each of these chapters offer lessons from the magnificent and awe-inspiring lives of marine mammals, those that know how to keep themselves hidden from those forces that would destroy them to those who sing to their offspring while they are still in the womb. There is evidence that the song sung represents their name and their parent and the community learn their name and sing it to them as they grow. Here is how Gums tells the story of the orcas. This is from the book. Quote, if you let them tell it, before 1970, the orca, codenamed Blackfish, were despised. Military bases had guns pointed toward the water to kill them on sight for no nourishing reason. Teenage boys shot with, at them with 22s and slashed them with knives and left them to die slow, painful deaths. And the adults in their communities applauded them for taking down a giant pest. Post-1970, if you let them tell it, thanks to oceanarium marketing, orcas are loved, meaning featured on posters made into stuffed animals, starring as main attractions at SeaWorld, marketable captives for capitalism, loved. Gums continues, I advocate for a different definition. I would say the orca before and after 1970 are influential. In matrilineal, multi-generational groups all over the planet, orca families influence all other species in their range. They inspire seals to move onto land. They impact the migration of animals as varied as moose and humpback whales. In truth, the orca is a large dolphin but there is no species on earth too large to fear her and give respect. Orcas greet each other respectfully as distinct resident groups and celebrate their own social order. They collaborate on the care of their young. They are not afraid to express their grief for months and years in public. Yes, I would say the orcas are powerful, influential, and necessary. Nuanced, majestic, brave, and committed. Those are the words I would use." End quote. So I am using technology, and it did not save the rest of my sermon, and I want to cry, but I will not. I'm going to try to um, turn on the, I apologize. Um, I was sure I did this correctly in my hotel room this morning, and it looks like I did not. So I am going to, I got it. I found it. Sorry. I turned on the internet. Thank you, Black Jesus. It is, it is a UU miracle. <laughs> I was literally about to start weeping. Okay. Whew. <sighs> okay, so now I just got to find where I was. Okay. <sighs> Gums writes with respect and care for the orcas themselves. Throughout her book, she tells the stories of mammals through the lens of community care and liberation. 
Now, I know that at least one, if not more, of you know a lot more about the behavioral science of marine mammals and are thinking about all the ways that these creatures of the sea behave badly and hurt each other. I'm not here to argue the idea that every other animal on Earth lives in complete harmony with each other. I will argue that none of the violence between animals comes anywhere near the horrific destruction caused by humans. Humans hoard resources and wealth and create stories about who is worthy and who is worth less. And these are stories, and stories can be changed. Stories can be told to affirm life and to affirm sustainability. Learning how to be human is a messy business. None of us are experts at being human, not even ministers, not even faith leaders. The best we can do is hold each other when we are struggling, try to understand and have grace to love each other, celebrate with each other. We can tell the story that we can transform the world in service to sustainability and community care. It is not impossible. Now, when I pontificate at dinner parties about such ideas, and I promise you that I do, I am sometimes met with, Aisha, you're talking about utopia. There's no such thing. It's not realistic. And to that I say, why is the damage we have caused realistic? Why did someone say, let us own other human beings, and that became a reality? Another said, let us cage children, and that is what we did. Why was that realistic? Why isn't it realistic to tell the story of transformation for the good of all? To tell a story of universal health care and universal basic income so that all may have what they need? Why isn't that story realistic? When I told a neighbor once that I, uh, he comes from Belarus and was talking the ills of capitalism, and I said, well, Violent extractive capitalism is no great shakes. And I said, we need two things. And I was telling him I'm a prison abolitionist and uh, asking me how that would work. I said, well, to begin, like tomorrow, we need two things, universal basic income and universal health care. And he said, well, that's complicated. I said, you know what's complicated? Maintaining the International Space Station, and yet we find the money and resources to do it. It is not complicated to share. We just don't want to. We are always free to write a different story and make that a reality. We do not need to continue down the destructive path that settler colonialism has taken us. And we can learn from and respect the animals, plants, trees, and marine life that have learned to coexist. I will leave you with more from the guide from Undrowned and this is called The Guide for Diving Deeper, Lessons in the Voice of the Sperm Whale Who Can Dive More Than a Mile Deep. A Guide for Diving Deeper. One, breathe. We sperm whales can replace 90% of the air in our lungs with one breath. 
We can blow our breath 17 feet high. However deep you are breathing, breathe more. Exhale longer. Two, take responsibility for your forehead. We, for example, have a head full of wax we can solidify like a weight to go deeper. We can melt it to become lighter than water and float. What is going on in your head? Be intentional with it. I like that y'all laughed at that. I'm not going to follow up any questions. Three, hush. We stretch out our bodies 60 feet long at the surface and then arch our backs facing down. Our tails come with us, barely creating a ripple. We are saving our energy for depth. This is not the time to splash. Four, be flexible. Deep in the ocean there is pressure, a lot of pressure. It will press on your chest and your lungs will collapse. You call it heartbreak. It is not. It is how what made you embraces you, reshapes you, welcomes you back. Let it happen. Five, be specific in your actions. When your lungs collapse, you will need the oxygen in your blood. It is deep in your muscles. It was put there by practice. Let your practice facilitate depth. It will be there when you need it. Six, listen. We listen underneath our throats, not with our ears. We listen across the planet. We can hear each other click from opposite sides of the globe. Though we may seem alone, we never are. And seven, come back. You know when it has been enough time in the deep. You will know when it has been enough time in the deep. It can vary. Attune to your need. Account for your nourishment. Direct your thoughts. Melt them down and make them light and return. As you all here and online go about your lives this week, remember to center the stories that share community care and love. Thank you. Amen. Blessed be and Ashe. The reading today is called Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. In the framework of emergence, the whole is a mirror of the parts. Existence is fractal. The health of the cell is the health of the species and the planet. There are examples of emergence everywhere. Birds don't make a plan to migrate, raising resources to fund their way, pay, pacing for scarce times, mapping out their pit stops. They feel the call in their bodies that they must go. And they follow it, responding to each other, each bringing their adaptations. There is an art to flocking Staying separate enough not to crowd each other, aligned enough to maintain a shared direction, and cohesive enough 
to always move towards each other, responding to destiny together. Destiny is a calling that creates a beautiful journey. Oak trees don't set an intention to listen to each other better or agree to hold tight to each other when the next storm comes. Under the earth, always, they reach for each other. They grow such that their roots are intertwined and create a system of strength that is as resilient on a sunny day as it is in a hurricane. We gather in community to affirm and witness each other's lives, our joys, our sorrows. Our prayer this morning is from Reverend Sean Parker Dennison, wrestling like Jacob. Spirit of life and love, today I wrestle with the angels, perhaps like Jacob. I will win this fight but I know full well that nothing is without cost. I will be changed by this struggle. I will never be the same. Today, I open my heart to that mysterious beauty we call love and try to comprehend its stubborn, grandiose vastness. It has taken at least half a lifetime to welcome such love into my own life, to accept that I am wholly and relentlessly loved. Regardless of my faults and errors, and that I will forever be loved this extravagantly, never, never will love fail me. But even more, love will never fail. Today, I struggle to stretch myself so that I can hold for even one brief moment a vision of love that fails no one. A love that can redeem the irredeemable, comfort those whose suffering appears beyond comfort, and when rejected, grow ever more vast ever more patient, ever more ready to forgive. In struggling to know this unfathomable love, may my heart be stretched and open, making room for more love, more love, ever more love.